Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Newsroom. My name's Katie, and I will be your host as we meander into the lives of inspiring and creative people. This is a hub for makers, thinkers, and anyone else that is doing the work that they truly want to be doing. Welcome to episode 10 of Newsroom. Before we dig into this episode, I wanted to give you a disclaimer. This interview was recorded at a picnic table in the Hingetown neighborhood of Cleveland. The conversation goes from start to finish as it was recorded, so here and there you may hear a dog bark or a new voice chime in. In this episode, I chat with Stephanie Sheldon, the founder of Indie Foundry, the Cleveland Flea, and our creative clubhouse. Her story begins in a small lake town in northern Michigan, where she grew up and where she discovered her creativity and her love for handmade goods. We talk about how the Cleveland Flea got started, what it was like in the beginning, and what all goes into making the flea happen. I will let her tell you the rest, so thank you Stephanie for sharing all of the knowledge, and thank you listeners for tuning in. So I always like to start every interview by just asking you about something that's been inspiring you. Okay. So it can be something that happened last week or yesterday, this morning, anything that's really kept you moving. Hmm. It can be as little as something that Chiro did or yeah. as big as... Um, honestly, just like walking around this neighborhood mm-hmm. saying hi to people that I know that makes me feel like so connected to everybody right um and I forget that I need that because I spend a lot of time at home working mm-hmm. <laughs> so that I think feels really inspiring to me yeah totally yeah. I crave that because I'm so I've lived in Cleveland for about a year now but I don't really when I walk around Lakewood I don't really see a lot of people I know so that's always really yeah. cool it totally. makes you feel like you're a part of a community. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So let's go all the way back to the beginning. I just was curious about what was your childhood like? Where are you mm-hmm. from? Where did it all start? So I'm from um, northern Michigan, mm-hmm. a couple hours north of Detroit. And I grew up in a really small town on the lake. And um, I grew up in the country. Um, my parents had their own giant garden and we Mm. canned vegetables and made jams and Mm. had a lot of homemade kind Mm. of stuff so that's where my I think my affinity for like handmade and local really came from is just living that life so it's always been a part yeah yeah I always was a I was never a picky eater I was always some a kid who was trying lots of things and then early on I became very creative and I just would build and draw and do do what I could do in my small uh, in my small town to mm-hmm. make my imagination kind of go amazing places because I just really grew up in a very small place and um, so I just remember being so excited to get a cookbook and then like mm. try all these recipes or like 
think about like far off lands or um, just imagine I was so future focused. I've always been a very future focused Mm -hmm. person. So I'm always looking ahead and planning what I want to do. So then um, I ended up going to architecture school in Ann Arbor Mm -hmm. and that really changed my world perspective. It introduced me to tons of new types of people, different cultures, all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. And it just opened up my my world and um, architecture school itself was kind of stifling because it was very um, rigid yeah but um, then um, I went ended up going to grad school or I moved to Europe for a while and then moved back and went to grad school and all of these experiences started to like open me back up to like the possibilities again of what Mm -hmm. could happen and then in grad school I studied um, Cleveland and I had started coming here um, and I decided after grad school I would move here. And so that's how I ended up in Cleveland. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So you were you started out your career as an architect and then you transitioned. So what was that transition yeah. like? Uh, why did you decide to end that career? Well, it kind of wasn't my choice fully. Well, I say that. Um, I decided to pursue another path because I moved to Cleveland at just two years before the recession hit and my architecture firm closed actually but I had always been someone throughout my entire life who had a creative side hustle or creative hobby yeah and I always loved that I was always so excited to go home from work and like work on my side hustle what were some of those that you remember I mean I it started out um baking and cooking were always like a really like baking mostly was like a real passion of mine for a really long time. I was super into Martha Stewart ever since I was a child. And so everything DIY Mm -hmm. as well, um, just like domestic things, domestic crafts or dinner parties. Um, I loved entertaining. I loved like creating a whole thematic menu for people, like make your own pizza party or stuff like that. Um, And then when I was actually more formally making money from my side hustle, it was graphic design and wedding invitation design um, and a little bit of branding for some local makers. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a little bit of that on the side when the recession hit and I was like, this is what I want to do. This would be so much fun. Um, So I ended up not pursuing another architecture firm um, and I just was working at a restaurant and then later I got a job a really random job working for a survey company and what was cool about that was it was a job that didn't take up a lot of mental energy for me it was like fairly easy work but it paid the bills while I could focus more of my creative energy on building my side hustle so at a certain point I just decided to leave that job and it was pretty terrifying but I I knew that I I wouldn't be able to do as much as I wanted to do unless I put it all on the line. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So uh, did you start the Indie Foundry before the Cleveland Flea? Yes. Okay. So So Indie Foundry started, um, it is like the parent company of Cleveland Flea. Mm -hmm. Indie Foundry started to help small makers brand themselves Mm -hmm. and give them business advice. But I was giving them business advice from someone who had never run a business. So I, it was really odd for me. I was definitely helpful to them because 
honestly, we all, many times, we just need another perspective. Yeah. We need someone who really is on our side to help us see where we could go or where we're standing in our way. So I didn't realize it back then, but I was doing a lot of business coaching okay. without knowing it. But it became really clear to me that these makers would never be able to take their craft seriously unless they started making more money at it. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to start the flea as a place where I could just solve that issue for them okay. and get them a lot of like a good amount of money. Like my goal was to make them a thousand dollars every market. Wow. And because a thousand dollars is something that I feel like if you're making a thousand dollars you can pay your rent mm -hmm. usually. Rent and your bills. Absolutely. So it's easier to leave your day job if your side hustle is bringing you a thousand dollars at least um so that was my whole goal is to make them a thousand dollars in a day and i think we surpass that most vendors make i mean it just depends on what you're selling and how invested you are in your product and every everything there's a million things but it's not impossible it's pretty easy to make a thousand dollars at the flea that's incredible yeah. So when you first had the idea to start the flea, what happened next? What were your first steps? Um, I did a little bit of research, but not a lot. I just planned an event, and it was pretty terrifying because I didn't know how to do anything. But I figured I would figure it out as I went, which is my normal way that I do things. So, um, I mean, it, it was pretty hard. Like, I didn't really know a ton of I didn't know a ton of makers I knew a handful people knew me already at that point and I don't even know why but I had come to be the person in Cleveland that like everyone would come to if they had an idea and didn't know how to do it mm -hmm. that was like people would constantly call me or email me and be like my friend told me to talk to you because I have this idea and I don't know how to do it like I became this person for that so I, I had a little bit of a network and I was known as like at least that type of person but I didn't know a ton of makers. So I went like to other craft markets, which I'd already been going to because I, I was always a big fan of that. And I didn't actually solicit anybody at the markets because I found that that was, a, it was infringing on, mm -hmm. on the organizer's space potentially. Um, and But I would like take the cards of people and I would buy things from people and then follow up with them later and introduce myself and just tell them like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Um, I don't know if you'd be interested. And I ended up getting, I think, about 25 or 30 people for the first market. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we didn't really even have much of a structure. We were really figuring out as we went. And I ended up having to move it inside overnight because I planned it and then a huge like storm was coming. Yeah. And I was like, what do we do? And so the night before, um, there was a building down the street that um, we had been kind of working with, or I had been working with, called the Slovenia National Home. And I got them to let me use their lower level, and like both actually their, yeah, their ballroom and their lower level for the market just overnight without really ever doing any planning. So I had no idea if what I had planned outside would fit there. Mm -hmm. um, I just ran in at some point and laid out the spaces and I had a, I was up until like two or three in the morning emailing vendors telling them like, hey, there's a change of plans. This is now where you're going to be. I did change all of the social media so everybody who was coming would know where to go. It was just down the street so it wasn't that crazy but it was pretty insane. But I knew that 
if we were outside in like 50 degree weather in the rain, my vendors wouldn't come back. Because if shoppers didn't show up and they didn't do well, they wouldn't come back. Mm -hmm. And so I knew at that point, and that's to me like, that's the difference between being an entrepreneur and being someone who's just interested in something because you have to be nimble and make those really, really difficult calls. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this is going to be terrible, but I'm going to do it mm-hmm. because it's, I just know that the survival of this thing depends on me making like life or death decisions. Like right. This. Um, yeah. So we um, luckily got a good amount of customers there, maybe like 1500 showed up and um, the vendors were super excited and we just kind of took off from there mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so the first time it it's not going to be perfect you just kind of have to dive right in when you're it's going to be like, like even worse than mm-hmm. not perfect yeah it's like going to be excruciatingly terrible mm-hmm. because you're you go places and you see things and you're like well this is great I want a certain standard Mm-hmm. And you're just unable to achieve that for a while because when you get into it, you realize there's a lot more that has to happen for you to be able to right. deliver that standard. And so it's pretty crazy, but um, not nobody sees it in that angle. Everyone was everyone liked it. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like, "This is great," and but I didn't. I was like, "This is not good enough for me." Right. <laughs> yeah. So then, what did you do next? Well, we had a we had a full market season plan, mm-hmm. so just hustled to really understand the technical side of my business. So, like when you start a business, you know you are doing a couple of things. You're learning to be the technician of your business, which is like if you're an attorney, you're learning law. You're mm-hmm. learning the okay. learning kind of the technical side of your craft, and then you're also learning to be a business owner, which is a totally different side of things. Mm-hmm. You're learning how to make money and think about money and plan things and make your make your schedule work for you be more efficient talk to people appropriately reach out learn learn the business side of things that you need to learn for the technical side to work you can't just be someone who only does the technical side which is why I think artists typically get this I think it's a it's a misperception, but people always say like, oh, they're just an artist; they can't run a business. I don't think that that's true, but I do think that what that I think that that happens in every profession where like everybody who's decides they don't want to learn business, like you can't grow mm-hmm. if you don't do that. So you either have a business partner who can do that, um, or you hire someone to help you, like a business coach. Um, or you just learn it. Mm-hmm. And so you have those two options. And I think you just want to understand where you want to spend your time. Like, do you want to spend your time? I like business and I like learning that stuff. It was hard for me because the flea was not an easy. The flea was an extremely heavily energetic business. Mm-hmm. Like thousands of people are showing up. There's like cops showing up. There's the city breathing down your neck. Like there, it's not like a stationary business where you're just sitting at home like when I was doing like stationary and stuff, I, I was like, the energy that it takes, it was not, it was drastically less than the energy that Cleveland Flea takes. Right. So it was just exhausting. I, I couldn't get to a lot of the business stuff. So it wasn't like I didn't want to do it. It's It was literally like I spent almost all of my time 
battling people and mm. getting ready for thousands of people. And it just took a lot of time. So, so yeah, how did you work through that? Did you find people to help you? How did you find those people? Um, not really for a while. Um, I just kind of like did everything myself for quite a while. And then this amazing woman, Sarah, she, I had put a call out for interns and the only way I knew how to get interns that worked with my schedule was to be like, show up at the flea. We're going to have a working interview. If you, and also I had them like write their own job descriptions about like what their dreamiest job would be. And, um, Sarah was one of a small handful of people who went along with that. She like wrote this whole thing and she was really like creative about it and had this vision for her life. And she showed up the first day and, um, Hey. How are you? Yeah. Oh, nice to see you. Oh. <laughs> Have a good day. You too. Bye, Tiana. Um, so Sarah showed up, and she just immediately was warm and helpful and didn't make me feel bad that I was a hot mess. She just came in and started working, mm-hmm. and she was positive and happy, and she was became an intern for a few months. And, like, poor Sarah, I didn't know how to do anything and so like she was like working for free for a while and she never said anything and and then around Christmas so that was around August when Sarah started coming to help me then around Christmas we decided okay we need to really like give you money and so she became my first real employee um, right after Christmas Mm -hmm. and I don't know why she stuck with me I mean to this day I think about her and her impact on my life and I had no structure. It's not like she was making a ton of money. We were totally chaotic because we were a new startup. So, like, what that means is, like, you don't really know what every day is going to bring you. Mm-hmm. You don't have a plan for things, usually, when you're a fast-growing startup. We were a very fast-moving startup. And you can be a very slow-moving startup. You can just, if you don't like that pace and you don't like the idea that, like, stuff is coming at you all the time, and you want to be very planned out, like you're, that's fine, but your business won't grow that fast, you know, because mm-hmm. what that, what it really means is that like there's, you're going to business school. So if you think of going to four years of business school, you can go to that, you can take four or eight years to get through it, or you can get through it in an abbreviated program of two years, right? Totally. So like you can take seven classes at once or you can take two. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a startup, like you decide, and it's all based on your your commitment to discomfort and your willingness to see your thing in the world. And I wanted to see my thing in the world quickly. And so I learned business school, years of it, within a year. Wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So Sarah was, like, there for that. I mean, we I didn't know how to use Facebook or Instagram <laughs> or, like, take photos or anything. I didn't know how to do any of it. Mm-hmm. Of course I didn't. Right. Why? How would I? I didn't have training in that. And so... So we're learning everything that we need to know as well as learning how to run the business. And um, she stuck around. Um, Sarah was with me until 2016. So she was with me from 2013 to 2016. She had a baby. Um, and she had to um, stay at home and take care of um, Isla. But she really transformed my life because she gave me some help during that time. Right. Yeah, and yeah. she didn't judge me, which was a really good thing. That's awesome to <laughs> yeah. have someone like that because I feel like if you don't run into those types of people, like it might 
hold you back. You might not be able to move forward as much. Yeah. It depends. Yeah, I think that um, it was really uncomfortable for me to have people see how chaotic Mm -hmm. it was up front because I I couldn't stop it from happening. Mm -hmm. Yet people are really judgy. You know, people don't want to be in a situation that feels chaotic or um, a little unstable. Mm -hmm. And like to Sarah's credit, like she just never, she never made me feel like that. That's great. And that allowed me to push through. But that's another thing is I think that like a lot of people will have family members who judge them Mm -hmm. and who watch them go through this chaos. Like sometimes you just can't share that with them. Mm -hmm. Like telling your mom how hard everything is at least with my mom, she wanted me to stop doing it, right? She was like, stop what you're doing. You, This is way too hard for you. Like, you need people in your life who won't allow you to let fear be the driving force in your life. And so you need support from people who have your back and who know that you, this mission should be in the world, but aren't going to just be like, oh, yeah, you know what? You should probably just, this is too crazy. You should probably give up on this right like go get a teaching job or go do something easy right you don't want people like that in your life if you really or you can have them in your life you just can't share you can't give them you can't ask for their advice right don't put them in that position because they're not you so find people who are supportive but push you forward still Mm -hmm. and and say like I know this sucks right now but you're gonna be fine yeah. So that might be a business coach. So can you talk about business coaching, what it is maybe for people who aren't really familiar with that realm? What can you, they use a business coach for? Yeah. So like I'd say most startups probably, if they have a business coach, it's more of like, like I offer DIY business coaching mm-hmm. and I offer like group coaching, which is low cost. And, um, I, I find that most people who actually hire a business coach, are already running their business and um, people who are just starting out they just want something they want someone to talk through things with like they're the people who it's like hey can we brainstorm this like um, so if you find people in your life that can like brainstorm stuff with you and you really admire them and they're willing to like talk to you for free that like a mentor or something that can be kind of like early business coaching um, on a budget and then, um, or you could find a business coach, you know, like me, who like offers lower cost rates that work for a startup business mm-hmm. um, model. And then my other side of coaching is for people who are scaling up. So I'm for people who are starting up and scaling up. Okay. So the people who are scaling up are people who like are committed to their business and then they're like, okay, I have quit my job. I do this full time. Um, I want to make more money now. And um, that's where I think a structured program really works well for them. And what we do with them is set like a three, six or 12 month goal. And we just like create a plan around that. But first, like when you're just starting out, you're just looking for people who can like help you think through your problems. And I'd say like finding some books that are are great, finding some podcasts um, are great. Like, um, you know, biz ladies 
the busy these series from Design Sponge, which was written years ago. Oh, I think okay. it's still added to, but like, and they also had a podcast called After the Jump. But like, listening to that kind of stuff is super helpful. Listening to the podcast called like um, How I Made This or No How I Built This, um, which is all about the startup world. It interviews founders of companies. That's super helpful. So like, when you can't fully pay for it you just need to kind of surround yourself with these like resources DIY DIY exactly and that's totally fine but what will happen soon is that you'll want a more you'll want someone who's dedicated to you and your goals and can really dig in and help you see like where am I standing in my way and that's where a business coach comes in um so it is someone who is like talking to you about your problems specifically and really helping you come up with solutions to get to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And that is super, super important when you are, when you have big goals, you know? So my coaching business, I mainly work with people who I call millionaire makers or million dollar makers. It's people who want to make a million dollars eventually in their business <laughs> and they're really committed to it. So it's not for people who believe that they always will run a side hustle, right? Like, oh, I can never leave my job. Right. I will always be just doing this on the side. That's not my, that's not my niche market. Um, cause my, my advice, they never want to take my advice because my advice is usually to quit their job and like do this full time. And so they're not really my, my niche market. Um, but those people, they, I do have lots of great business resources for side hustlers. Um, but my main, main business client is people who want to like take the world by storm with a handmade item or yeah. you know and do the work that they truly want to be doing yeah exactly and it's so much less difficult than people think in a way um it's harder and more difficult than you think and what that means is that like really you're only up against yourself like the work is the work like learning how to do things is kind of like not that hard but learning how to do something when you don't believe you can do it that's where the hard work is can you think of any examples of people you've worked with that started out as a side hustle and then have really snowballed into making it their full-time gig? Yeah, I mean, most of the, many of the businesses that you see here in Hinchtown or that you see a lot of the media started at the Flea, which mm-hmm. the, the, the Flea was a, a, a market that built in, um, it built in a lot of business coaching into everything. It was always a business incubator. So it always had me at the helm talking people through everything. I was always like teaching people how to take photography and why it was necessary. Like it wasn't, I was never just an organizer. I was always someone who was leading by example with the belief that like if people watched me do it, then they would start doing it and then they would grow. So like a ton of brands, um, grew out of the flea that are changing the landscape of our city. Um, Brunettes is one of them. Mm-hmm. Fount Leather is another. Um, a harness Cycle, I worked with Annie actually um, on Groundswell, which was her kind of like her indie foundry of, of harness. It was her sort of like her um, like baby, not baby business, her parent business of, of the rest of the work that she does. Um, I guess like so so many people every single business at the flea I feel like especially in the season one and two I business coached because we were all growing together so you know Wright and Reed who does leather um you know Liza Michelle Jewelry uh, most of these people like the flea was where they grew 
their brands and where they figured out who they were. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, yeah, so many people. It's inspiring. Yeah, it's Beach great. R is one of them. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, like, it, it's just a place where you find who you are and grow who you are. Mm-hmm. Cool. So let's backtrack a little bit. So you were in a space where you were just starting out, things were chaotic, mm-hmm. and now when people come to the flea and they look on the Instagram of the flea and everything it seems like everything's really flowing and you you're in the groove kind of so can you talk about that transition from chaos to um, just kind of where it is now well yeah I mean I think we're always in a little bit of constant reinvention behind the scenes so like I always say like you just trade one problem for the next (laughs) so you're never really done Um, It's just that, like, we know how to run markets now. So we know the technical side of running a market, right? We have experience in that now. I understand how you deal with the city of Cleveland. I understand permitting. I understand taxes in the city and the state. And um, I understand the inner workings of what's required of us. So it's not not like I'm not – I'm just not doing – that work in addition to running the market I'm doing other things so I just hired a team of eight this year so I just scaled up so we are like pushing toward a million dollars this year um so scaling up your finances takes a whole new set it's a whole new set of problems which is like you know for me like what's my role now um where am I standing in my own way oh now I'm managing a team so I'm thinking through like oh what are my newsletters how do I take my team out how do I like deal with the fact that like we only had three people last year that required X amount of finances and now we have eight and they're all, and I also, you know, pay people pretty competitively and I pay for half of their insurance. Like what does that take in coaching myself to believe that like we have the money for that, mm-hmm. right? Like there's a, how do I have to think differently to make the money for that thing? Right. Like, what do I, what are the decisions that I have to do diff- that I have to make differently? And so, so it's not necessarily it's not necessarily chaos, but it's not not chaos, right? Because having a new team, they all came on at the same time in the early early this year before the season, right before the season started. So they were all learning at a very rapid pace. Um, so it did feel chaotic between March and June because seven people were learning this thing. And so I was still helping them every single second and doing my job and planning for the mm. future and trying to, to manage my own mind and trying to make sure the fleet like still worked. And during those months, we always had lots of problems because there'd be a lot of things that slipped through the cracks because they didn't know stuff that I knew. So like, you know, a beer delivery would show up and someone would forget to have gotten a check for them. And so I would have to dig us out of that hole or like, you know, but now they know all that. Right. So they did basically on the job training for three Mm -hmm. months with me. And now they are good at what they do. Um, And they were already like ready to get good, but there was just a huge amount of learning. So, Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that was tough for them initially early on because I mean, it was, I think it was tough for some more than others because just like, me I was like a not a perfectionist but I really wanted everything to be perfect and I had to live through the fact that it wasn't perfect that's how my staff had to be so they had to be okay with the fact that like 
I was constantly criticizing them. Mm-hmm. And because, like, I needed them to do it right, you know? So, like, if they weren't doing it right, I was going to tell them how to do it Absolutely. right. Because I needed them to know that mm-hmm. and then be released. And then now they're at a place where they are just, like, over-exceeding expectations. So now we're at a place where we're, like, we're, okay, we're thinking through, like, okay, who are we? And can we get national sponsors? Can we, like, create a program for this type of thing in other cities um like uh, it's just a whole new version of who we are so you never really you never really got to a place that everything makes sense um if you're continuing to grow yeah but that's the thing is like it's everybody's choice like you could st- I could have stayed a one person operation I just would never have done been able to do a lot of things right mm-hmm. my the level of energy that I could put out into the business would have been X amount and now it's like X times eight right Mm -hmm. so it's just it just you have to decide what type of business you want to own Mm -hmm. and a lot of people want to own a small scale business where all they do is like focus on their craft and so they don't they maybe have one other hire and that's it and they sustainably grow which I think is fine I think you just decide what it is that you want to how you want your life to be and you create that but I wanted I wanted the fleet to be a thing that like has a heavy impact on the city and on the world and so because of that we needed to hire more people mm-hmm. yeah so uh, I want to kind of get into the ins and outs of the flea so maybe like the few days leading up to it who are you working with um, who are the people that are helping you out? What are their roles? What kind of things? What are those last minute things that you have to do? Yeah, so, well, we plan the fleet all year round and we plan it um, like it's a full time job. Like, people, I think people think that like we don't work except for the day of the fleet. Oh, no. And it's crazy. So, we work year round and we hardly keep up with everything because there's so much to still build as a startup you know we're gonna be tackling a whole new website build this year um and in a whole new internal structure of how we how we work um to get more efficient and to grow in a couple different ways but for the markets um we're on a four-week operational schedules so we have week one is always the week that's farthest away from the market so that's usually um the week after the last market so that's like half the week is spent kind of analyzing and cleaning up and just like reviewing from the week like the market before and then the rest and then the rest of that week is spent kind of like thinking about planning a little bit of large scale for the next month so, um, we also have, my team has usually off Monday and sometimes Tuesday of that week because just depending on how grueling the market was, if everything was really easy, um, and chill, um, then they just take Monday off. So they have two day weekend, but you know, in July it was really, really, really hot. And we were all there until like, we were there until like midnight the night before the market we were back there at like 5 a.m and then it was like 100 degrees all day and then we were there until like 8 p.m and we're doing all the physical labor that you need to set up and tear down and talk to people and it was just I knew it would be too exhausting for people to come they needed another day and so 
the week week one is a little bit like catching our breath and taking a moment to like think through what we need to do week two is usually spent making any plans and getting really serious about like okay what's changing for September fleet what do we need to order what do we need like are we building anything new um are we collaborating with people like what is the planning effort that we need to just get locked down so that none of that is like a problem for us um at the fleet we're also kind of like putting in last minute vendors we book people six weeks ahead of time because we don't really want it to be a last minute thing but sometimes we do get applications that we're like you know what we have a little bit of extra space so let's bring in this person or that person or you know what it'd be so cool if we had this like it's September maybe we need like an apple vendor there so the, like so stuff that's like thematic um that we feel like we can kind of like solve that week we will um week three is when we build everything that we had planned in week two so any we paid things and and we like you know build out our our booth and um you know start planning for the actual physical setup for ourselves and then week four is fleet week which is where we don't we try not to do any new things Mm -hmm. so we're like just that's where we prepare for the weekend so we print everything we need we put things in binders I go get all of the cash um for the cash boxes I you know we are writing all of our story or we're releasing all of our stories everything for us points at like getting everyone there that day from vendors to shoppers um, and just getting everyone excited about all all the details so we don't put new vendors in the last week of the flea we really try to keep the the emergencies to like or our plans to a minimum because emergencies will always come up so you know something didn't arrive in time and we have to make a different plan for it A, a vendor a really crucial vendor like maybe you know something happened to them their tent broke or I don't know like god forbid like something happened in their family and so like they can't make it or like usually something will happen that makes us have to like really quickly deal with it um maybe we were missing a permit that all of a sudden the city said we needed and we are at like risk of getting shut down or like food vendors didn't get any of their permits pulled in time and the city is being difficult to them like there's always going to be something that's that pops up that's really crucial um, this past month we didn't have that, thankfully, but um, it's just, you know, it's still going to happen. Like, a, a storm could come through, yeah, and all of a sudden we that. have to deal with that. Like, so we're usually, we try to keep our week four on a pretty simple set of tasks, repeatable set of tasks that we just start the week doing, so that if there is an emergency that happens, we actually have time to deal with it. Right, yeah, so putting in all the really hard work before so that, Mm-hmm. It's all done in case something like that happens. Yeah, I mean, we try. We're yeah. we're only human, but right. the goal is, mm-hmm. that is the goal. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're you're doing the Cleveland Flea, you're still business coaching, mm-hmm. and then you just started the Creative Clubhouse. So you have yeah. multiple businesses yeah. that you're running. So how do you manage it? How do you balance? Do you have any, like, self-care practices to keep you grounded and keep you moving? Um... Well, I just moved into a new apartment this year mm-hmm. um, that's really close to the flats at the Mueller Lofts, and it really streamlined, streamlined my life um, because it's an apartment that's extremely easy to keep clean. It's got really big windows. Mm. It looks out onto a bunch of trees, so it feels like I'm in a treehouse. Like, I made a, a pact this year to, like, make my 
personal life like happy for myself because it just I've been working like just constantly and my personal life was never a thing for me and so um mostly every day I wake up and ask myself like like really it just make the most important thing for myself is how do I just be happy today like what do I need to do because I love it and it's less because my whole life or last six seven years has been about like obligation and making everyone else happy and like there's just thousands of people that I deal with so like there's always a handful who are really mad at me about something just because we deal with thousands of people so whether it was shoppers who didn't know where to park and are really upset at me and then they need to like send me an email about it or vendors who didn't have a good market and they you know really are upset at me about that or you know my staff who like isn't getting enough structure in their life and they are like I need you to deal with this like it's just been a constant set of problems (laughs) for six years so um which is okay it's fine um but basically one of the big things I realized um was that I could only I only wanted to hire people who had who were on the same page as me in terms of our mission and which means that we are high growth and we are okay being chaos right so I let everybody know when I hired them this year I was like if you're if it is going to stress you to be in chaos you can't work here okay because you will bring that to me as though it's a problem I need to solve for you when that's just what the job requires and that's up to you to solve it. So if you're someone who cannot handle that environment, this is not the place for you, right? If you're someone who is like, you know, if you are not emotionally resilient around these factors, you can't be here because I can't, I will not, I don't want to be in a position to battle you. Mm -hmm. And I... I, that doesn't mean that I don't talk to my staff about things and help them through things. Of course I do. But fundamentally, we're a, a good fit for each other right. because we're all tough and gritty and we're all excited that this is the work instead of, like, upset about it, instead of resisting that this is the work. And so that is like, been a self-care tactic for me because it, it was... It surrounded me with the right people so that most of my energy is spent in, like, thinking ahead and planning and liking myself and, like, planning trips for myself and, like, being excited and creative again instead of feeling like I was doing it wrong and I was letting people down because that was just – that was a lot. And then another thing is I realized that, like – You know, you don't control people's emotions. So if someone's mad at me that they can't find a parking spot, like, that's their choice. It's not like it's, you know, not like I'm being a negligent business owner. Mm -hmm. And if they think that that's the case, they don't have to show up. So, like, I was able... But then I also needed staff around me that could back me up on that, right? I didn't want people who were, like... Who would feel the pressure of, like, that and think, like, well, she should really be, you know changing that for people I want people who are committed to your vision and well continual improvement Mm -hmm. right and like understanding that like a customer's experience we can shape from the moment they get to our website till the moment they get to our market and that that is a thing that we care about and want to help and are attentive to but not when people are like like unnecessarily upset with us and um, just want us to feel bad. That's a different story. And I realized that 
that's not the type of like yeah, person you need to listen to feedback from. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, I, like some people won't ever be happy. So I, I like released myself from a lot of the need to make everybody happy and instead focused on what we do as a company that makes people happy. So it was it's really weird because our goal is constantly to make people happy, but it's not because we don't feel like we're good enough. It's because we love them and we want to do amazing things for people. And so the byproduct of that is that it delivers people a really great experience um, and that's what we always want anyway. Yeah. So to do that, you you have to set your boundaries. And... Mm-hmm. We have to just make it... We have to understand um, the difference between... I guess, like, doing things because we're scared of negative feedback or doing things because we're, we... I have a positive, a positive kind of um, reason for doing things, right? There's, when we think about our customer, we think about like, yes, we want them to be able to park, right? So when we think of that ahead of time, because we we love people, we want them to have a great experience, we think through all the, we think it through in, in a very positive way instead of a negative way. And that's just so much more, you just get further in that. Um, so that's just, it's just a different way of approaching it. Absolutely. So earlier you were talking a little bit about fear and a little bit about your experiences with fear. So can you delve into that a little bit deeper? Um, yeah. I mean, fear is a thing that is always present if you care about something. So it's never really going to go away from us. Um, it's always going to accompany joy. Joy and fear are like two sides of the same coin. Um, so when you're super happy about something, you, sometimes your immediate reaction is to be like, but what if I lose it, right? Fear is always on the other side of joy. And many people, what, they, what their reaction to that situation is to get rid of joy, right? Don't try to do the thing you want to do because it's too scary. Um, but then you live in misery. So that's the other thing is that like you can live in a constant state of misery, which is sort of like a, it's not neither high or low emotion. It's just sort of like very dull emotion. Um, and that's where a lot of people decide to stay because it's comfortable. They know that, right? And joy, joy just requires you to contend with fear and to be in discomfort and to be okay with that and um another thing is like your life will be 50 percent positive emotions and 50 percent negative emotions it's never going you're not you're not trying to go to 100 percent perfect you're not trying to go to 100 percent happy it's just not it's not possible for a human being human beings need to have a range of happy and sad because that's what gives our life contrast it's what why we know things make us happy is because things make us sad right but when we're running a business very often we think to ourselves like it shouldn't feel like this if I was doing it right it wouldn't feel like this it would be so much easier oh gosh uh, we get yeah <laughs> he's just all joy <laughs> kids don't have a lot of fear right exactly. like that's the thing is when we're little fear is not that big in our life um we learn fear we really do because like evolution 
evolution created this whole situation for us where we had to survive right so we had to like run from tigers and stay in caves and you know like we had actual real um things to be scared about right whereas like most people their fear response is like to things like i'm scared to write a blog post Mm -hmm. or you know like the things that they're scared of they and this is the thing i know that they feel it i know you feel the fear but you need to intellectually understand that it's not necessary and that you're only believing it for you're you're kind of like overdoing it on mm-hmm. fear, right? You're scared of something, but like what are you really scared of? Failing? I mean, it's zero it's still kind of zero risk, you know? So, I think people need to lead with joy and care a lot about what they do because that is the best antidote to fear because it it's like I enjoy this so much I have to do it or mm-hmm. Like, I want to go to this place or I want to do this thing. Um, so it's, it's so compelling for me to push through the discomfort that comes along with it. Whereas if you just, like, dull down your idea so that it doesn't offend anybody and doesn't, like, sound kind of silly or doesn't sound too weird, like, you're not going to be as interested in it and you're not going to do the work that's required to get through it. Mm-hmm. And so normally people don't want to hear that from me. They want to hear that there's an answer that they're missing so that fear doesn't have to be a part of their life. Right. So they don't have to do what they, they know they have to do. Mm-hmm. And I just never told them that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think I'm like a no-nonsense business coach. Like I'm a, I'm a results-driven business coach. I'm not someone who's like, let, I, I'm not in it to help them get to their goal to take like 20 years to get to their goal. I, I'm there to help them get to their goal pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. And so people like me because of that, but people also are like, you know, nervous like about that yeah that's cool I like that perspective on fear I haven't really thought about that so thank you for that Mm -hmm. so what are you um most excited about for all of your businesses are there any new projects that you can share about yeah I mean so I've always wanted to own a family of brands which is essentially what we're going toward um so Indie Foundry is You know, all of the businesses are kind of for the same person, which is who I call the dreamer doer, the person who kind of sees the world and they're like, I want to make it a better place. And I have this idea and I'm willing to put in the work and I am internally driven and I'm so excited. Um, So, you know, they're all different brands that help a different version of that person. So I'm really excited this year about putting out my own podcast and um, really like building my coaching business like and launching it nationally really kind of taking the fleet not on the road but as a program that we can teach other cities Um, I am also like starting a starting content series that hopefully will turn into like a TV show called uh, Markets and Makers and it's just that I travel around the world and I go to the world's best markets and I shop the world's best makers um, and I learn a lot about them and so I'm really excited to make connections with people in other countries and um, my photographer Heidi is coming with me and we go to these markets and then we interview like the new business owners that are taking shape um, within the cities too so like we go to the old school markets and then we also interview like I said like the businesses that are on Instagram right so they're kind of like the new wave like of you know old school markets 
Um, so I'm excited about that. Um, we're doing a lot of cool things for holiday this year that are new. Um, we're having lots of like new partnerships with, with bigger brands. So there's just so many things that are like strike fear into my heart too. So, um, but I'm so excited about them. So, um, yeah. And I want to take my team, like my dream is to like make the jobs at the flea is something that people love so much and that and one of the things I want to do is like take my team on a retreat to somewhere beautiful um in the winter and so we have a lot we have a lot of goals um yeah yeah it's it's amazing And, and so next year at this time I think we'll be living a totally different life but yeah I mean we always will but we have the choice to do that or to stay the same right yeah exactly so, um, but staying the same never feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, but changing always feels scary. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm so excited for that possible TV show traveling mm-hmm. the world. It kind of ri- reminds me of Anthony Bourdain a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Really it does. Yeah. I know. Um, I know. He was such a pioneer too in helping us really decide that fear was just what we make it. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Great. So, uh, last question. So, I know you're just such a champion for the city of Cleveland. Yeah. And I, so this might be hard for you to answer, but what are some of your favorite parts about Cleveland, and what do you hope to see more of in the future? Um, yeah, I love Cleveland. I think Cleveland ha- has a lot of growth that it has to go through to support a wave of creativity that really could transform the city. Um, so my, I trademarked a slogan this year, my first trademark ever, um, and it's called Defend Creativity. And to me, that absolutely... Hi! Nice to see you. Nice to see you, too. Hi, Katie. I'm Graham. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. <laughs> hey, Churro. Churro's hey, mad that I won't let him just wander around. I know. It's your mom's just looking out for you. <laughs> He's like, but I just want to out. <laughs> I'll see you later, buddy. Um, so Cleveland. So my my relationship with the city of Cleveland can be summed up in two words, defend creativity. And that will always be my relationship with the city of Cleveland because creativity strikes fear in the hearts of people and a city needs to be resilient to that the city needs to be innovative and a city needs to like want to do new and creative and innovative things in order to, to draw more people here and to make Cleveland a great place to live and the city is not the city um, is not there yet the city as like a political institution um, it's not there and I will continue to defend creativity to the city of Cleveland, for the city, of, for the people here, for the businesses that are here. Um, and that's also why I want to do all these amazing things in my life, because that builds up my emotional resilience for that really, really big task. Because that's going to be, a, that's always been a hard thing for me, because uh, you're just really up against people who don't want to change and don't want you to point out that they need to change. And... It takes a huge amount of emotional resilience to be to be fighting that fight, and so um, that's I would say that is where I need Cleveland to improve is to 
love itself more. That's always what I've wanted it to do. And when you love yourself more, you decide that like joy and innovation and fear are all worth it. And when you don't, you stay the same. And that's kind of where the city of Cleveland has been for many years. It's stayed the same. And I just, I don't want to live in a city like that. And I I don't want, I don't want people here to have to live in that city either. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Um, Can we just end, maybe you can just recommend some of your favorite things, like favorite restaurants in Cleveland, any books that you're reading. You mentioned some books for people that are starting businesses. Just anything that you want to, want people to experience. Yeah, so a lot of my favorite places we're sitting around right now. I love Hinchtown. Um, Larder is right here. Rising Star, Beat Jar, Cleveland Tea Revival, Harness Cycle. Um, I, I love the Transformer Station and the museums. I love um, Platform Beer and... Uh, the Plum Salt is one of my new Ooh. favorite restaurants. It's been around just a, I think a year or two. Yeah, I haven't been there um, yet. Spotted Owl is amazing. Um, Il Rione. <laughs> Il Rione is an amazing new pizza place. It's so good. Um, of course, Brunettes is amazing. Um, Lux has been one of my favorite places since I moved here. It opened the same year I moved here. Mm-hmm. So it just celebrated its 10 year anniversary and it's always consistently lovely and beautiful and just such a beacon for creativity. Um, I love Edgewater Beach. Um, it's just such, the Metro Parks have done an amazing job with everything that they own and everything that they, they take care of for us. So, gosh, there's just so many places. But those I'd say are like my top my top few that I end up going to a lot. Awesome. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you would like to share? No, I think that's it. Great. And where can people find you? Um, people can find me at stephanie-sheldon.com. That's my personal website. Oh. <laughs> and, um, yeah, people might not be able to see it, but there's, like, the cutest toddler running around. <laughs> living his best life um like dumping over dog bowls and just inspiring you know people to like have a lot of fun with their day (laughs) but yeah so um indiefoundry.com is kind of on hold right now because we're rebuilding the website um it'll be a place where um, independent founders bosses kind of like um find resources for themselves creative our creativeclubhouse.com is where we help our side hustle businesses. Um, Cleveland Flea is where we talk, obviously, to all of the local makers, and we just we just launched Flea School. So um, Flea School is our business incubator program, a six-week program where we teach businesses what we know and how you know they can actually run and grow their businesses. So there, Flea School is for businesses that are already running, typically, who are looking to scale up. Um, or their side hustles that are learning or wanting to take it seriously. So creative clubhouse is for people who are just starting out or want to create a side hustle. So that's where you can find me. Great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Of course. Thank you.
you so much for listening. That was my conversation with Stephanie. I hope you had a chance to write some stuff down because she did share so much knowledge. But that's okay, maybe you were driving, so you can always just listen to it again in a couple days. Make sure you bring a pen and paper and take notes. So if you did enjoy the episode, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. I will leave links to where you can find Stephanie in the show notes. And if you would like to connect with me, you can follow me on Instagram at newsroompodcast or maybe shoot me an email to newsroompodcast at gmail.com. So that's all I have for you this week. And I hope to talk to you soon. But until then, keep searching for that news within you and I'll talk to you on the internet. Bye.